RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I'm your host, Vincent Hill, and welcome to this very special Wednesday edition of Beyond the Badge. That's right. Today is Wednesday. As you know, I'm typically on Tuesdays at this time, but I was out of town in Florida for some family business, but I'm back. So today's Wednesday. It's a very special edition. It's also Halloween. So for some of those that are uh, with their kids right now, they're probably out getting that candy and all of that stuff. You're probably checking the candy. Make sure you do that. Make sure you stay on well-lit streets. Make sure you don't let your kids walk in the street. All of that safety stuff that you have to be mindful of during Halloween. But it's a special day as well for me. Not because it's Halloween, but because 23 years ago today, something very special happened to me. And that was the birth of my firstborn, my daughter, Alexia. She came at a time where, man, I got to tell you, I wasn't ready for a kid. I was 22 myself, just getting my life started in the the Army, just away from home. Man, I just wanted to go out and party, drink, do my job as a soldier, come back home, party, drink, do my job as a soldier. That's typically how my days, nights, and mornings went. Up until the time I found out I had a little girl on the way. But I got to tell you, as much as I wasn't ready for it, 23 years ago, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Because I always say this, I've told my kids this, both my son and my daughter, they truly saved my life. Because at 22 years old, man, I can only tell you stories of how crazy I was when I was 22 years old. Now, I don't want to say too much in case I ever want to run for office and, then you know, they want to come back and say, well, you know, 23 years ago you drank beer. But on a lighter note, I want to send a very special, special happy birthday to my daughter, Alexia. I love you so much. I can't believe 23 years have gone by just like that. Man, here's to another 23 with you. And I just pray that I'm around to see it in 23 years from now. And speaking of birthdays and Halloween, uh, last year I actually flew my kids up to New York for my daughter's birthday. We went up on, I believe, a Saturday. We flew out of Atlanta uh, up to New York. We got there. We hung out. We did the tourist stuff. And, you know, the kids wanted to go to the haunted house, so they went to Blood Manor Haunted House while I stayed in the room, tried to catch up on sleep. And we flew out on The day before her birthday, we flew back here on the 30th. I believe last year it was a Tuesday. Don't quote me on that. But, well, we flew back that Monday. Last year, Halloween fell on a Tuesday. Um, So, as I'm watching the news on Halloween, Fox News alert, a terrorist attack in New York City. And it was just blocks from the World Trade Center where we were that day. The day before, we were there, just down from the World Trade Center. I had taken the kids there so they could experience that. And it reminded me today that, holy crap, today is the one-year anniversary of that attack. Now, when we hear terror, we typically think of 
planes, bombs, shootings, all of that stuff. But if you remember, um, there were eight people that died. Eleven people were seriously injured by this guy who rented a truck. I believe it was like a Home Depot truck, drove that truck into a crowd and hit a bunch of people. Again, eight people died. Eleven were seriously injured. So, of course, today, as New York City prepared for its holiday parade, usually in Greenwich Village, let's just say police presence was a little higher, both plain clothes and unmarked, or should I say plain clothes and uniformed officers. You had marked cars and unmarked cars all throughout the city of New York. And of course, this is off the heels of just last week where several suspicious packages were sent across the country. One of those landed at CNN there in New York, in Manhattan, Columbus Circle, which is really not too far from where this terror attack happened last year. But it just makes you think, like, A, how fast time flies, and then B, that we're in a world now where we have to be mindful of these types of things. We have to be mindful. There's not a safe place, in my opinion, in this country. I mean, we've seen it at restaurants. We've seen it at movie theaters. We've seen it at churches just this past weekend, and I talked about it on Fox News. We saw it at a synagogue while people were out worshiping. So we can never look at New York last year. People walking down the street on Halloween, getting ready for a parade, getting ready for trick-or-treating. They get hit by cars. You can never really be safe, so we always just have to be prepared for what can come out of that. Because just like that, anything could happen. So I want to switch gears here. There's a lot of stuff going on in in the news as it relates to policing, because that's what we talk about here on the show. So a couple of weeks back last month, Jason Van Dyke actually uh, on the 5th of October. So not not quite a month yet. Jason Van Dyke, former Chicago police officer, was sentenced, convicted of the murder of Laquan McDonald. Uh, If you remember back in 2014, he shot Laquan McDonald 16 times as he was walking away. He was armed with a knife. He was convicted last month, or excuse me, he was convicted earlier this month, October 5th, in that murder in, I believe, 16 counts of aggravated assault, uh, one for each bullet that hit Laquan McDonald. So now he's back in court. He was back in court today, as a matter of fact, not wearing a suit this time, but of course, the uh, jailhouse-issued uniform. So his attorney is asking the judge to throw out that verdict and grant a new trial. Now, a lot of people would say, why? And I watched the trial. I covered the trial as I was anchoring for the Law and Crime Network. I heard Van Dyke's testimony. I heard the other officer's testimony. So a lot of people would ask, why is he asking for a new trial? Well, the attorney is saying something that I kind of agree with. He's basically saying that when Chicago, Rahm Emanuel and whoever else made the decision, decided to release that footage of the shooting, it basically, in the court of public opinion, made Van Dyke guilty. He said in a news conference, 
it cemented a narrative of guilt in the public conscience. He also said that it described Van Dyke as a racist murderer and someone who looks like the devil. Now, this is his attorney going to the court to say, hey, we need a new trial. We need this verdict tossed out because he was already guilty by the court of public opinion. Now, again, I have my thoughts on this case. I covered it. I listened to Van Dyke's testimony. I watched the body ca- or the the dash cam footage. So there's things in there that I have to look at objectively. But what I can say is I agree with the attorney. And I've said it so many times on this show, like departments are so quick to use the word transparency when they release these body cam footage or this dash cam footage. They're so quick to use the word transparency to appease to the community, not realizing that further down the line that actually hurts the officer. Even if the officer was 110% within policy, if the officer did everything by the book, if the officer prayed to God before he had to pull the trigger, when that video is released to the public, the public has already convicted that officer in the court of public opinion because they don't know about the use of force continuum. They don't know about escalation, de-escalation. They don't know about responding with deadly force with deadly force. All they see is a police officer who had to use force, in most cases deadly force, and that's all they care about. And if that police officer happens to be white and the individual happens to be black, just like this attorney said for Van Dyke, the only thing they see is a racist murderer. So that's why I've always been a big advocate of keeping that dash cam footage or that body cam footage on wraps until that case goes to trial because it's just like watching a movie you can hear so many great things about that movie and then you go watch it for yourself and you're like man this movie sucked this movie sucked I hated it so it's the same thing as watching a movie You can hear so many great things about police. You can hear so many great things about that officer. But if you see a video where he had to use deadly force, this guy sucks. He's a racist. He should have known better than to do that. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. Again, split-second decisions. 99.9% of the time, police are doing what they're supposed to do in accordance with the use of force continuum, in accordance with policy in accordance with the law. But anytime you release that video and you allow the public to see it, who's already, if you will, brainwashed by the mainstream media, their minds are already made up. So you can't even get a fair jury in the city of Chicago for Van Dyke to say, oh, well, we're, we're, we're going to look at this unbiased. It's, it's almost impossible. So, of course... As this breaks, as we find out more, if Van Dyke is offered a new trial, I'll definitely update you on it. I'm sure if he is offered a new trial, we'll cover it on the Law & Crime Network. You can go to lawandcrime.com to watch it. If you have Pluto TV, you can watch us there. So I'm sure as this develops, if he gets a new trial, we'll cover it. 
If he gets a new trial, I'll definitely discuss it here. And the outcome of the trial doesn't necessarily mean, or the the new trial doesn't necessarily mean that the outcome will be any different than it was now. But I honestly have to say, I can see his attorney's point. I can honestly say that. And maybe this will set a precedence for other officers who are on trial and body cam footage has already been released before trial. Think about this. That's really, if you think about it, releasing evidence of a crime before the crime has been closed in the final chapter. So that would be like you collected someone's DNA. They haven't been to court. They haven't been named as a suspect. But you go on the news and say DNA was recovered from Jason Van Dyke at the crime scene. Really? What do you think a jury's going to think? What do you think the public's going to think? Anytime you have that video or audio, it's evidence of the case. So it should not be released. It should be kept under lock and key, in my opinion. So that's Jason Van Dyke. So there's also a rift going on in Chicago right now. Of course, there's this talk about police reform and the consent decree. So there's a judge, a federal judge, who has agreed to let at least 70 people come to this forum and talk about police reform and what they think it should mean. And a lot of it has to do with basically tying the hands of police and putting more, more, I guess, freedom in the, in the hands of criminals, if you will. Because, of course, everyone about police reform says that there should be stricter instances of where you can use force. Again, it goes back to what I said earlier, because people don't understand the use of force. So I would love to see what the definition of stricter use of force means to these people that are asking for this police reform, because does that mean the suspect has to beat the officer almost half to death before they can react? Does that mean the suspect has to have three punches in before they can react? Does that mean that the suspect has to have shot at least one shot before the officer can use deadly force to subdue that suspect? What exactly does that mean that they need police reform as it relates to the use of force? It needs to be stricter. What exactly does that mean? So, of course, depending on who you ask that about this police reform and this consent decree, some people say it's good, some people say it's bad. So, for instance... Michael Harrington, Michael Harrington of Network 49, a far north side activist group, spoke during one of these hearings and said he was detained and interrogated in a case of mistaken identity where he had done nothing wrong. So he's a grown custom to being stopped by police, these racist police officers. And he's quoted as saying that they won't stop without a robust consent decree, which includes the critically important element of public scrutiny. So basically what he's saying is that you shouldn't be able to stop someone and investigate them because you got a tip 
of a crime and this person happened happened to be in the area and happened to match that description that's basically what he's saying now of course police are furious about this and they're saying hey listen this is going to tie our hands a few officers step forward to say that police already face heavy oversight and that they blame criminals and broad social problems for their troubles in some neighborhoods he goes on to say I believe that these good intentions are going to place the officers at risk and the community at risk. And I got to say, I have to agree. So anytime you start tying the hands of police officers, yes, everybody should be held accountable for their actions if they break the law, if they break the law. But when you start letting civilians dictate policies of a police department, Civilians who have never done the job, civilians who have a political agenda, civilians who have a racial agenda, civilians that don't understand split second decision making. Anytime you do that, it does place the officers at risk because when you say, oh, you cannot act unless A, B, C, D and E have been met, then by the time you get to see the officer is already seriously injured or dead. Or when you have a civilian that says, unless this happens, you can't do this. The officer is already hurt. And if you if it doesn't meet this, then you can't do this. You can't arrest. Then guess what? Your city's crime rate goes through the roof. That's how it works. So on November 3rd, they're going to have this little uh panelist discussion open to the public where they're actually going to pick these individuals that will be over this consent decree, this police reform. And the group includes a former prosecutor, police and retired federal judge. That's part of the group. But the public gets to interview these people to say, hey, why should we pick you to do this? All right. I want to switch gears and I want to talk about Florida, Coral Springs, Florida, to be exact. Uh, that's down southern Florida. And a couple weeks ago, you may remember, there was this video that went viral of this 14-year-old girl uh, being struck by a Coral Springs police officer, Tyler uh, Riek. And, uh, of course, the video went viral. He's white. His partner, the female officer there, was white. Uh, the individual, the teen, her name has not been released, obviously, uh, for several reasons was black and he's seen on this cell phone video doing strikes to her side and of course people yelling oh it's excessive force it's racism so of course her mother has come out her name is jessica dennis uh you know she said she was on good morning america uh, apparently you know she said the officer was totally wrong he went overboard because she wasn't resisting arrest the attorney for the teen and the mom have said, oh, she was a great kid. She wasn't doing anything. But let me give you a little bit of background. So there was, of course, a call by an individual. I believe it was small security that said, hey, there were a bunch of kids in here acting up, being unruly. So guess what? When police get called, they show up. There were several arrests made. This young teen decided that she did not want to comply with the officer's initial verbal commands which were simply to leave the mall and not come back pretty simple so she refused to do that she became combative of course officers went to place her under arrest so then she resisted so they do a standard takedown she lands on her stomach 
the male officer puts his knee in his back. You can hear on the cell phone footage where he's repeatedly saying, show me your hands, put your hands behind your back. And he proceeds to do some strikes to her side. They end up getting her cuffed. She stands up. She's still aggressive. She kicks one of the officers. But again, the attorney and the mom say it's overboard. She didn't do anything wrong. So just like we were talking about Chicago with with changing policies when you can use force. If this individual, this female, was resisting arrest, actively re- resisting arrest, she's in handcuffs, she kicks an officer, what do you expect an officer to do? Now, of course, there's so many groups already saying this officer was wrong, he should be fired. Same stuff we always hear. But thankfully, the police department has come out and made a statement that says, no, the officer was acting within policy. No policy was violated. That's according to one of the spokesmen there. The officer went through what they are trained to do, and that is to de-escalate the situation. We tried verbal compliance first, and obviously that wasn't working. Again, they tried verbal compliance first. Hey, leave them all. You're not wanted here. When that didn't work, they attempted to arrest her, which is what they're supposed to do. You don't follow those commands, you get arrested. You resist, the officer has to use force. But I'm so glad that this department down in Coral Springs didn't cave into the pressure because it was a black female and a white officer and he was caught on surveillance footage, or correction, he was recorded on cell phone video doing his job and it goes back to what i said a long time ago when people were this huge advocate of body cams and all of this stuff because it'll show the injustices that are going on in the black community well this white officer who knew he was being recorded because every officer knows they're being recorded in fact you know nowadays people oh don't worry i'm recording it i got it on tape i'm recording it that officer knew that he was doing his job in accordance with, I've said it a few times on the show tonight, in accordance with the use of force continuum, in accordance with department policy, and in accordance with the law. So he wasn't concerned that someone was screaming in his ear saying that they were recording it because he knew he was acting within policy. And more importantly, he knew he had faith that his department would not cave into the pressure of saying, you're a white man, she's a black suspect, you're fired, you were wrong. So I'm so glad that this department, the Coral Springs Police Department, stood up for their officer because the officer was just doing his job. And everyone that always says we need police reform, I say we need suspect reform because the simple thing that I always say that won't get these hands laid on you is compliance. If you comply with the officer's commands, just like he told her to leave, if you comply with those commands, you won't get these hands. It's that simple. So while they're up in Chicago in the windy city saying we need police reform, we need police reform, you need suspect reform because If you comply, the officer can't use force. If you comply, the officer has no reason to use 
force. And don't forget, the officer already knows he or she is being recorded. You say police reform, I say suspect reform. You say police reform, I say crime reform. You say potato, I say potato. That's what it's all about. You comply, you don't get these hands. All right, I want to switch gears and go out to East St. Louis, Illinois. And this is a pretty pretty tragic story. Uh, an Illinois officer dies after falling 50 feet during a foot pursuit. Ricardo Davis uh, was actually an unpaid auxiliary police officer with the hopes of becoming a police officer uh, in Washington Park, which is just outside East St. Louis, Illinois. So what happened, he was riding with an officer. A car had crashed and hit several vehicles. They got into a pursuit. The individuals ended up jumping out of the uh, car and running. So Officer Ricardo Davis, uh, Auxiliary Officer Ricardo Davis, jumped over a concrete barrier on the uh, Poplar Street Bridge, not realizing that the span of the bridge didn't continue onto the other side. So he actually fell 50 feet. He broke several bones, had internal bleeding, and was pronounced dead at the hospital. The two individuals uh, that got out of the car and ran, they have been arrested. I'm sure they'll be charged in his his death because it was their actions that led to his death. Uh, You know, here's a guy, uh, I don't know how old he is based on this, well, 44, duh. But here's a guy, 44 years old, had hopes and dreams of becoming a police officer. Just your average looking black guy that most people probably would not even pay attention to. But here's a guy that was willing to go out even when he wasn't being paid. He was willing to go out to protect and serve in the hopes of becoming a police officer. In the hopes of becoming a police officer, he was set to uh, begin the police academy pretty soon. Uh, Just a tragic, tragic story, you know, and every time I I hear stories like this, I think back to some of the stuff that I did in my days of policing, especially during a foot chase or car chase, where I look back and I say, man, that could have so very easily have been me. Some of the stuff I look back on, like, man, I could have died at the drop of a dime in some of those situations. Like, man, I remember looking down at my speedometer and it was, you know, marked out way past 140 that was on the speedometer. And, you know, thinking back, man, if I would have hit a rock at that speed, I would have been a goner. Or how many times I've gotten into a foot chase and ran around a dark building, not knowing what's waiting around that corner, not knowing if there's a suspect there waiting to shoot my head off, bash me in the head with the bat, leave me for dead. Man, that's the life of a police officer. That's the life that people don't hear about of a police officer. The tragic things that go on, the dangerous aspects of the job, people don't hear about it. They only hear about police when they do what the public sees as something illegal or excessive or racist. But they don't hear about Ricardo Davis, a 44-year-old black male who wanted to be a police officer, 
who gave his life protecting and serving, and he wasn't even getting paid for it. Those are the stories you don't hear in the mainstream media, but of course you hear them here on Beyond the Badge. All right, we are just about out of time. I thank you so much for listening to me on this Wednesday. I want you to go out, get that candy. Make sure you're safe. Check your kids' candies. Make sure you go to well-lit areas. It's Halloween. It's a day of fun, but there's always some idiot out there out to get you. So make sure you be safe. But before we go, of course, I have to do my 10-7 segment. And this one hits kind of close to home for me. Not because I knew this officer, but I've known the situation. I remember back in 1999, I was stationed way out in California. And I'd been trying to get a hold of my parents for a couple of days. So finally, I called my ex-wife. and I'm like, hey, it was a Saturday. I'll never forget. I called my ex-wife because she lived about five minutes from my parents. I said, hey, I've been trying to get a hold of my parents. Have you seen them? You've been by? What's going on? She said, oh, haven't you heard? Your dad had an aneurysm. He's in the hospital. Like, what? So kept blowing up my mom's phone. No answer. Hop on a plane. Fly the six hours back to South Carolina. And there's my dad laying in the hospital bed with a huge bandage on his head because they had basically split his brain open, his head open, to drain this fluid of this brain aneurysm. So tonight I want to honor Assistant Chief of Police Dennis Vincent with the Bingham Police Department in Utah. His end of watch was Friday, October 26, 2018. Assistant Chief of Police Dennis Vincent died one week after suffering a brain aneurysm while participating in his annual physical fitness test at the Box Elder High School track on October 18, 2018. He collapsed during a portion of the test and was taken to the University of Utah Hospital, where he remained until passing away on October 26, 2018. Assistant Chief Vincent had served with the Bingham Police Department for 24 years and had previously served with Willard Police Department for four years. He was survived by his wife, Four sons, three grandchildren, and three siblings. He was 53 years old. Godspeed to him. My prayers to his family. I can only imagine what they're going through. Thankfully, that day in 1999, my dad survived. He's still here with us this many years later, almost 20 years later. But I remember that day like it was yesterday. Godspeed to you, sir. Thank you for 24 years of service, for serving and protecting your community. My prayers to you and your family. I want to thank you, my loyal listeners, for listening tonight. I will see you right here, Tuesday, 8 p.m., RadioInfluence.com. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a dark delight with Frank and Beans Quick Fix on Radio Influence. I will say this. The president, I don't, uh, I know everybody wants to say that everything he does is four dimensional chess, but um, there are some things that I say 100% he played perfectly. Throughout this entire time, he has allowed the media to wonder and ponder openly whether or not he's going to fire Mueller, which of course 
He never was going to. But it gave him something to write about. Gave him something to hyperventilate about. And also, the entire time, teasing. Teasing. Yeah, sure, I'd love to sit down with Mueller and have a talk with him. Sure, I'd love to do that. And of course, backing off and then talking about the you know the reasons or the, the circumstances that would need to be met for him to sit down. And well, you know, what would the rules of this be? It's just been one big you know ballet dance. Start to Life with Frank and Beans can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.